Yeah, we have a, a treat this morning, a bit of a change in our schedule as we were hoping to have Pastor Bruce Brown this morning and uh, we're hoping that we'll be able to reschedule him for a later date. Uh, but we have a treat this morning with our very own Doug Frederick in the house. So Doug, why don't you come on up? Doug, as you know, is our pastoral theology director. He has been a pastor here in Canada and overseas. He'll share a bit about his life uh, and some uh, mentors in his life, and also someone who was the pastoral theology director when Kim and I were here. Uh, Fred Fulford's in the house, so we're glad to have you here, Fred. So we'll hear from him in a minute. Thanks, Gavin and Kim. I uh, was really looking forward to hearing Bruce Brown today, but I know just from some circumstances, but I think he's probably trying to come in the future. Please don't miss that chapel, okay? I don't care if you're sick on a stretcher, don't miss Bruce Brown. Okay, he spoke at CLA, the church that I uh, part-time pastor at uh, on Canada Day, and it was it was just I I just I I wept. It was it was an amazing service in the morning. Kim and Gavin, thanks for um, I don't care if it's uh, short notice. Thanks for letting me come and speak today in chapel. I love Summit Pacific. I love working here. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I don't want to be a salesman. I don't want to say things that are just like full of you know. German words, but I love, I love being here. I, it, it's an honor and a privilege. If you don't mind looking, turning your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 4. Um, I, I usually like preaching expository, uh, taking a chunk of scripture, but I know that in this chapel, the focus of this chapel on Mondays is really to share part of our lives, to share wisdom. And so the title today really is um, Wisdom and Mentors, or Mentorship. And so Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, if you would just read along with me, I'm reading from the ESV, it says this, the beginning of wisdom, I love this, because Proverbs takes away all the religiosity of anything. There's no talk about the tabernacle, there's no talk about temple, it's just like, it's just like straight on. Don't you like a straight on word sometimes? So here it comes. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. How, straight, how's, how more straight is that? And whatever you get, get insight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, these moments in chapel that we have to look at your word, to hear about our lives, to impart things. But Lord, we're all learners. Rem help us to remain as learners. And so Lord, we thank you for your law. We think of what David said. He, he said, show us wondrous things from your law. So show us these things this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. When a biblical author wants to grab your attention, when you're reading the Bible, oh, first of all, I want to say, these Monday chapels have been fire. Like Rob, fire. Kirk, last week, fire. Like I was burning, in the, I was burning up in the back row back there. It was, it was awesome. Today is more Kindle, so hopefully it'll just warm me up a little bit. But when a biblical author wants to grab your attention, one of the ways that he'll do that hermeneutically is that he'll repeat words. It's like in the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul, I think it's 36 times, mentions the term in Christ. He's trying to grab your attention. In Christ. What happens in Christ? We are, we are ported to the heavenlies. In Christ, we, we take him everywhere we go. In Christ, we are, are new and renewed and we walk in the gospel. And when you look at the Proverbs... Just in the very first five chapters of Proverbs, I know that Kim and, and uh, Gavin started off this chapel series talking about Proverbs and, and wise things that they've learned in the Proverbs. So that's why I'm talking about the Proverbs. But even in the first five chapters of Proverbs, here's some of the things that are repeated. You know, when you, when you preach, the very first thing you start with is a text. 
And you should read that text about 20 or 30 times. And in that 20 or 30 times, things will already start to pop out to you. Don't go to the internet. Don't go to Rich Wilkerson Jr. Go to the word. That's what it starts with. It starts with a text. Someone say amen to that. And so just listen to these words that are repeated. Here's what's repeated. Hear. Hear. Receive. Make your ear attentive. Hear. Be attentive. Hear. Be attentive. Incline your ear. Be attentive. Incline your ear. Listen to me. And then at one, of, one of the phrases in Proverbs is, I did not listen. And what was birthed is utter ruin. So you, you, even when you read the book of Proverbs, you, you see right away what, what the writer of Proverbs is trying to grab your attention to. That wisdom comes through listening. Wisdom comes through humbling ourselves. Because in a day, our day and age, we all think we're experts. Did you know that? We're not. We're not experts. You're not an expert. I'm not an expert. I don't know what I don't know. And so we have a lot to learn. And so what the, what the uh, author of Proverbs says is the word listen. We have to listen. Bruce Waltke, so I want to give uh, credit where credit is due. Bruce Waltke would say that wisdom described is this. It's the fear of God combined with the knowledge of God and his commands. And if you can know yourself and if you are open to others, if you are open to others, if you are open to others. He didn't repeat it, but I'm repeating it. If you're open to others, if you're open to others then the skill of living, you'll find the skill of living with the grain of creation. That's what wisdom is by Bruce Waltke. And part of wisdom is to open up our lives to other people. That's what the text in Proverbs say, and we call that mentors or mentorship or, or being under the, the wisdom of someone that you trust and someone that also loves you. So that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and, I, and I know that we love getting into the word, but I, what I want to do today is I want to share with you some of the people who have shaped my life. And I'm going to explain the, the, the poignant moments of their mentorship upon me. And Maybe you'll get to know me a little bit better, and, and, and it just explains mentorship a little bit. Let me just give you some irreducible minimums of mentorship. This is not on there, but just a little bit of like one, two, three points in the sermon. I've got to do it. Some irreducible, irreducible um, things about mentorships is if you want to find a good mentor, or even if you want to be a good mentor, first of all, you have to sense the love of a person over your life if they're going to mentor you properly. If you want to be a mentor to someone, you have to, you have to love that person. I, I love you. There's nothing wrong with telling somebody that you love them because that's, that's total oozing Jesus right there. So you have to make sure that, that you feel love and concern by that mentor or if you're mentoring someone, you have to have a love and concern over their life. You also need to feel protected. You need to feel like there's trust when you speak to one another honestly. When you have swearing friends, I call them, that you can say anything to them, and it doesn't matter what you say to them, you need to know that they tr- there's a trust there. They're, they're not going to speak about the things that you talk about to someone else. And then you also need a mentor who's encouraging. Someone who's going to encourage you even through the hard things that you know you need to do. Because grace actually comes through truth at times. And so you need a mentor who's like, I'm going to tell you some stuff that you're not going to like to hear, but I'm actually going to walk through those things with you actually as you walk them out. What's my role as a mentee? Here's my role as a mentee. My role is to take the initiative to connect with my mentor. 
Don't ever think that because you are being mentored, it's like, how come they didn't call me? How come they didn't text me? How come they didn't phone you? That is selfishness. That is self-centeredness. But my role as a mentee is to, to call my mentor and say, hey, listen, I've got this situation or I've got this thing that's happening in my life. Do you have time to talk? That is the best way for mentorship to happen is that when you take initiative and you connect with a person that is being mentored to you. Listen, I, another thing that I do as, as a mentee is that I have to do the spiritual work of staying and having a humble heart while I'm being mentored by someone. I need to turn off all my alarms that I think I'm like King Doug or King Pastor. I need to turn off those alarms and just say, I'm going to listen. And is what they are saying to me, is it correct? We need to be okay, Summit, with being stabbed in the front. Too many times in the church, we stab people in the back. But we have to be okay with someone saying to us, Doug, I, I don't think that's a good attitude that you're carrying. Doug, I think that you're walking in bitterness. We have to be okay that in that mentor-mentee relationship that sometimes we actually get stabbed in the front. What I also find about the mentor-mentee relationship is that a lot of times it's not the, uh, you know, I'm going to pray in tongues and then, okay, thus saith the Lord, this is the word from the Lord. But I find that the moments in my life where a mentor has spoken to me, it's been a prophetic whisper. It's been something that they've said that just connects to my heart. And they might not think it's anything great, but, but that's the prophetic, charismatic gift, is that you'll be with someone in trust and love and mentorship, and they'll say something to you, and it's just like your mind and your heart has exploded because that's the prophetic work of God when we carry those things. I'm gonna share uh, this morning less about me and more about my mentors, but it actually will share a little bit about me. Here's some of the mentors that have, have been meaningful in my life. The first picture is a picture of my dad. I know that we all have things to go through. I know that we all have things in our disciplinary walk to work through. And I, I, am, I just want to say that I'm blessed that I, I have a dad. His name's Ivan Frederick. And here's some of the things that Ivan put into me. He was, Ivan is, was a humble man. He was a servant. He loved his church, and he served his church. And when he, when he did things that were wrong, he admitted it. And, and I felt love. I'm, I'm adopted, actually. I don't know who my real mom and dad are. I was adopted at the age one. But I know that every single day of my life, my mom or my dad would grab me before I went to school, and they said, Doug, we love you. They, they looked me in the eyes and said that they loved me. Uh, my, were my parents perfect? No way, man. Parents screw up. They make mistakes. They're, some of their parenting was a joke, just like some of the way that your parents are. But here's that what we do as adults, as mature people growing, is that we take the things that were not good about our parents, and we realize the things that were good about our parents, and we say, my life is going to be different, and I'm going to parent my children even better than I was parented. That's our role. I learned love and justice from my dad. We, I grew up in a town called Wetaskiwin, Alberta, which was 10 miles north of a, of a city called Hobima, and it was a First Nations reserve. And the business that my mom and dad were in is they were in, like, Christian books and, and arts and crafts, not arts and crafts, but arts. And my dad would be this, was a supplier of leather goods and beading to the town of Hobima. 
every year my mom and dad would take us to a, a powwow, and we'd experience that. And I was just like, what the, what is going on here? It was awesome. And even today, First Nations drumming, I love the sound of the drumming. Like, I love the cries of the indigenous people. And so what I learned from my dad is really Micah 6.8, that as we walk humbly and as we are kind, we can do justice. And that's why I say in classes, and I make no excuse for it, that Black Lives Matters is an important part of culture and the church. Not the organization, not the organization. Please listen to me because I don't want to get your emails and I don't want to get mad from your parents. Not the organization. I believe that Black Lives Matter is an ecclesiastical prophetic moment. Here's, here's the reason why. Because we have never not said that all lives don't matter. We've never said that. But we're not good at saying people who are subjugated, black lives and brown lives and indigenous lives, we're not good in the church at, at fighting for them. And I saw that from my dad. My dad fought for this, for this town of Hobima. And my dad, when someone would, would like say a joke about First Nations or joke about somebody who's, a, who's lesser in society, you could see my dad was becoming a little bit upset in his introverted, quiet way. And I would say that my dad is a mentor. I remember when I was pastoring in Kelowna also, and uh, youth ministry was going so good, and it was busting at the seams. We had about 250 junior high and senior high together. And uh, I mean, the thing, if you know that we brought in Carmen, for goodness gracious, in the early 90s, we brought in Carmen. It's crazy. I know you don't know who he is, but I, I just threw it out there, you know. It's like we brought in Andy Mineo and Lecrae, okay? Like we did stuff. And here's the thing about my dad. My dad was also very observant. And I remember my, my, my mom and dad, and I've, I've told this in class, but I'm going to change the language because my dad was German, so I think you understand what, what I mean by this. My dad is very observant. And I was talking about ministry and doing this and going to uh, Russia and we're going to the States and we're going to Spain. We got 250 youth and we're doing missions trips and we're discipling during the week. And my, my dad just quietly looked at me across the table. We're probably at white spot. He says, son, yeah, when you think you're the crap your crap. I learned from my dad that the way to glory and wisdom is trying to do the best to walk in humility in everything that we do. Another person that has mentored me, uh, and this picture, just by the way, if you can go back, this is my dad uh, on his the night he was married, and then, of course, that's me with hair. This is the last time I spoke to my dad. Uh, June, two years ago, beginning of June, uh, my dad's health failed. And it, right, you don't see it. Of course, you don't see it, it's video. But I had the chance to hold my dad's face in my hands and say, Dad, you did a good job. I love you. And that's the last thing I said to my dad. Another mentor in my life is my wife, Shelly. This is Shelly Frederick. Again, yeah, come on. Hold it, are you, are you catcalling my wife here? What's going on? <laughs> I'm, just I'm just joking. That's me with hair again. But uh, Shelly is smart, and she's intellectual, and she's compassionate, and she's loving. And um, early on in our, in our, in our marriage, uh, something traumatic happened to my wife, and, and she just didn't recover physically. And Shelly walks with something called fibromyalgia syndrome. You'd never know it. And when you see her, she... she Here's the thing that I've learned from my wife. My wife has never complained to me about her physical pain. She's never. But this is what I've learned from her. I've learned to serve her. I've learned to submit to her. Guys, we also submit. Because I'm an egalitarian. 
There's no complementarian bone in my body. We submit to each other. And I submit to her. And she's never complained. And you'd never know that she walks through physical pain. But these are the things that I've learned from her. Yesterday at church at CLA, I was talking to a young adult, a, a lady in young adults. And she was telling me about how her boyfriend just dumped her. And, and, and just the story of, you know, he would, he would make, you know, um, do other, want to do other things and not spend time. I said, I said this, listen to me. If the, if the guy that you're dating is not crazy about you, dump him right now because you're worth it. You're beautiful inside and outside. And if someone doesn't want to spend time with you, then psh, ditch him. And so I, I told this story that when Shelly and, and I was first dating, we were spending some time with family in Vancouver, and she had to go to Kelowna early, and I had to stay. And I remember taking Shelly to the bus, and I was so infatuated by this girl that I actually ran after the bus downtown Vancouver because I could see her face in the back, and I think, I hope I would still run after the bus if Shelly was on it. Another person that has impacted my life for a very few years is, is this guy. His name is Jim Bradford, and he was the pastor at Broadway Church, and Jim had his PhD. He had a doctorate in aerospace engineering. He's a rocket scientist. And this is what I learned from Jim. I learned from Jim that being somebody of biblical standing is not the antithesis of knowing science and loving science and being a Star Trek nerd, because that's what he totally was. And so I learned from Jim many, many things. What I learned from him is that when you think about science, that God is in that. He graduated from the University of Minnesota, and he said that as, as a scientist, as a, as a young student, he would sit in these classes as they talk about physics and nature and the world, and he said to him it was like a worship service because he, he saw the order and the fractals and how, how things came together. And so I learned from Jim, don't be afraid of science. Don't be afraid of the medical arts because God uses it all, and he'll speak Jesus through it in every, every minute of the day. A couple of things that Jim would say is I remember sitting in a staff meeting and, you know, this guy's a rocket scientist and he says one day, I think I've, I've come to understand what pastoring is. And we're all like, okay, tell us because we're still trying to figure it out. And this is what he said, it's to be there. He said, it's to be there. And that's always stuck with me. Listen, if you're a pastor leader that only meets with leaders, you're not a pastor. But if you're a pastor leader that meets with leaders and you still have time and you put it in your schedule for the people of your church, then you're a pastor. Those are the things that I learned from Jim Bradford. I also remember when Jim um, resigned from Broadway Church and he was only there for two years and we're going through heavy transition and we sit in his office, his guys have resigned. I remember saying, Jim, you're going to pick up that phone right now and you're going to call that church in the United States and you're going to, this church cannot go through another one of those resignations. I'm sick of that. I was just being honest with him. And what I learned from him is this. Sometimes you need to take away the emotion and you need to think theologically about the decisions and the plans that God has for your life. Don't, don't always put the emotion in. God's going to protect the church. He loves the church. He loves the church more than you and me. And that's what I learned from Jim. Another person that I would say is, is a mentor to me is, is, is this lady, Bernice Gerard. And Rob talked a little bit about Bernice, and maybe you don't know about Bernice, but Bernice, when I was pastoring at Broadway Church, she would attend on Sunday mornings. And Bernice, here's, here's, here's the thing, trajectory of Bernice Gerard. She was a school teacher, and then she became an evangelist, and she went all around the world, and she went to the Middle East. And then she started, a, when she came back to Canada, she started a, a talk show. She was a host of a Christian talk show. And then she started a TV ministry on Sunday nights called Sunday Line. And then she founded City Harvest Church, which is, what's it called now? Uh, oh, it's called City Harvest. It used to be called uh, Fraserview. Yeah, it's City Harvest is what it's called. And then she co-founded Pacific Academy. And when she's not done that, she went to UBC to get her master's in arts. She also became a Vancouver uh, counselor on the city council. And 
I remember even as a young Bible school student being in our district conferences when men were deciding if women could be ordained or not. And I remember Bernice Girard just getting up and speaking eloquently and just coming against this group of, uh, of, of men that thought maybe we should hold into bounds. Maybe women should be not ordained or not ordained. This is what I learned from Bernice Girard. I've learned that, that regardless of whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, don't let anyone dictate that you're called or not called especially as a woman. Listen, I, maybe there's differences in this room, but you sitting in this room as a young woman, you can do whatever you want in the kingdom of God and whatever you want in the POC. Is there a glass ceiling? Yes. Yeah, there's a glass ceiling. There are still people, there's still men, there's still churches who don't get it, who don't see where the, the movement of God is going, and there's gonna be barriers, women. I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm not a salesman, I'm just trying to be honest. But this is what I've learned from Bernice Gerard, that there's two ways about walking in ministry as a woman. You can complain about the fight. Woe is me, everyone's against me, I can't do this. I have people speaking against me. You can do that, you can complain and you can roll and you can roll your eyes and you can, you can be a protester or you can just get about the business of being called from God and just do the ministry that God's called you to. And that's what I learned from Bernice Gerard. You know what you need to be? Listen lady, and I'm, I'm please, I, I mean this. You need to be Kim Quigley. That Kim just does it. She just does it. You need, to be, you need to be a Rebecca Monzo. You need to be a Mel Dealey. You need to be an Elise Brower. You need to be a Jenny Caldwell. That's not going to let some com- complementarian man try to twist the scripture for them to feel lesser than men. You are called by God and you go for it. And so you have an, you have an option. Complain, whine, oh, woe is me, no one loves me, or you just do it. Be a Kim Quigley. Another thing that has mentored me is this staff at Summit Pacific. And uh, I tried, when I first started to put this PowerPoint together, I was putting all the pictures of the staff on there, and it was just like, I'm not going to be able to send this to Gavin. This is like, it's going to be too heavy. So Dave's repping the staff and the team of Summit Pacific. This is what I believe. I, I think there's lots of things to say about the evangel- evangelical corporate culture. We, there's lots that we can say out there. A long time. Oh my goodness. Dave, can you give me some mentorship on spelling? I'm sorry. Do you know how fast I put this together? <laughs> Killer. But this is, this is what I, there's lots that we can say about the evangelical machine. But as an individual, I, I choose to submit to the places that I'm placed. I submit to the leadership of CLA. I submit to the leadership of this school. And I could, I could go to this back row and tell you why I love and appreciate every one of these staff. I, I appreciate, even sometimes Doc's dad jokes, I, I appreciate them. I, 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 I appreciate the staff. Do you know why? And I have full confidence in this place because they know what they're talking about. Sometimes you just want to talk to people who have experienced it. When you talk to Wilf and, and when you talk to Corey about uh, intercultural um, things, when you talk to Kurt, they've lived it. This is not just head knowledge for them. They've lived it. I've learned so much from Dave, and we've worked, we worked together at, at Broadway Church. I've, I've, I've learned from Dave that you need to be kind and that every step in your life prepares you from something else. There is no one better than, than Dave Jemtuck to be president of this school. God has prepared him for this, and I'm blessed to watch that. And so this team, this staff, uh, has, I've learned so much. And there's one more person that I want to just share about that has shaped my life. 
this person has been a thread in my life since I was 20 years old as a young pastor coming out of this school. And that's Fred Fulford. And I'm glad that Fred is here today. And Fred's going to share for a few minutes about making wise decisions. I would rather want Fred to pass on to you what he passed on to me. But I would say that Fred, in my life, is a legend. Listen, do not, words matter, right, Wolf? Words matter. Do not call someone who's 21 years old, who ripped off a message on the internet, and he preaches it, a legend. He's not a legend. None of, none of, most of us in this room are not legends. We're emerging legends. Do you know who the legends are? Leg, people are legends who they've been faithful. They've been faithful to their wife. They've been faithful to their kids. They haven't screwed up or split churches, and they still love Jesus, and they still love the kingdom of God. Listen, 21-year-old, preach a message that you burnt from somebody. You're not a legend. Maybe you're emerging, but you're not. Don't ever call yourself a legend. Fred's a legend. And I am so grateful to have Fred in my life. And when it comes to making wise decisions, I'm going to ask Fred to come and share that. Instead of me sharing it, I want my mentor to share what was mentored to me. Would you just bring it up for Fred? Give it up. I just want to tell you where this came from. When Shelly and I, when I was thinking about getting married to Shelly, I was so foolish. I was like, no, I don't, I broke up with her, and I was like, maybe I should go to Mission Field, and I don't know, I was just being stupid and, and not being committed. Maybe I should be celibate. Maybe I should go talk to Fred about being celibate for Jesus and just giving my life to missions. And I went to Fred, and I told Fred the angst that was in my heart because he's a mentor, and he just looked at me and was like, don't be stupid, you're not celibate, Doug. <laughs> and then Fred gave me this advice that he's gonna give you, and I have used this advice at every major intersection of my life. And uh, bless you, Fred. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug. When he's calling me a legend and saying all those nice things, I think, boy, it would be nice if my mom and dad were here to hear that kind of stuff. (laughs) My mom would smile and beam and say, that's my son. My dad would chuckle and he'd say, don't. He said... When people talk like that about you, it's like, it's like perfume. You can take a sniff, but don't you dare swallow it. And uh, thank you, Doug. Anyway, I have to admit that I have many, many, many fabulous memories about the 10 years that Doug and I spent together. Uh, as a matter of fact, if comparisons weren't odious, I'd put them on a list of those who served on my team over the years, but that's not the right thing to do. But uh, I have to admit at the same time that I don't have a clue. I don't remember the moment he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember him coming to me uh, about Shelley. You know, that's, that's not there anymore. But I do know exactly what I said to him because I have said that too dozens and dozens of times to many, many people. And what I said to him... I've said to myself and my wife together many, many times. And uh, don't worry, I'm not going to be here for a long time. This is going to be really quick. But, you know, the decisions that you make, I mean, some of the decisions you don't even pray about because the Bible says. You don't visit the porn site. You don't shame somebody online. I mean, you don't need to pray about that. But there are lots of decisions that are really important that the Bible really doesn't speak to you about. Should I marry Shelley? Should I accept this internship? Should I finish Bible college? Am I really supposed to be a pastor? 
Should I accept this invitation to be a, an assistant pastor in this church? Should I buy this car? Mickey and I have to make a decision this week about will we go to Mexico in January? Um, not as big as some of those other ones, but you can make mistakes and get off track. And so this is what I shared with, with Doug and Shelley. Um, yeah, based on James. James is one of many that talk about wisdom. And he says, if in the process, he's talking about going through tough times when God wants to grow you, but it's not easy. If in that process, any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from God. So let me tell you what I told Doug that day, because, as I say, uh, I've told it to myself many times. When you're making a decision, do this. Do I have this here? Oh, you put it all, it's all on there at once. Okay. Uh, number one, know that God is going to give you wisdom. Too many people make a decision wondering, did I do the right thing? Did I? Now, the text says God will give you wisdom. Not half the time, not a quarter of the time. Every time, every person. You have to make the decision, but God will give you wisdom Every time. So say that out loud. God is going to give me wisdom. I'm going to make a good decision. I have to make a decision. He's not going to do that for me. But he is going to give me wisdom. Because that's true. And we need to say that. Number two, ask God for it. That's what the text says. Out loud. Should I marry Shelley? Should I go out on a date with that guy? Should we go to Mexico for a month? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I wanted that. <laughs> so you just, like David in the Psalms, Lord, I don't know what to do. I sort of want to do this, but is it the right thing? And then there's this, I could be doing this. I need you to help me. Give me some wisdom. Every time he will. Every time. Number three, be willing to do anything. Big verses for knowing God's will. I beg you, present your body a living sacrifice. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will. That you might know for sure. That you might be able to live out that perfect. I'll do anything. I'm all yours. Just like we sang this morning. Or Proverbs. In every way acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Be willing to do anything. It was easy talking to Doug. I don't remember that conversation, but Doug says, I'm willing to be celibate. That's a pretty big thing for a 20-year-old guy to say. I'm willing to do what... I'm willing to be a missionary. Show me what I should do. Whenever you're willing to do anything, you can know for sure that... Don't play games... Be willing to do anything. I'll stay at home and not go to Mexico for sure. If, I, if I'm not willing, then I can't get wisdom from God. Set a date for your decision. 
This is extra biblical. This is not in the text there. But God doesn't like us, and it's not pleasant to live in the valley of indecision. Should I? Shouldn't I? That's not a good place to be for very long. So I, sure, I said to Doug, look, Doug, why don't you say next Sunday night, I don't remember, but I, I could have said it, live this week out, willing to do anything, and tell the Lord next Sunday night after church, you're going to make your decision. You can tell him what you're tending to, but you just want to do what he wants more than anything, but you're going to make it then. You're not going to live here for very long. Number five, consider the options carefully in front of Jesus. So Mickey and I sit down. Pros and cons. Go to Mexico. Stay here. Help Doug with church planning course. Go to Mexico. And... <laughs> So there are pros and cons. And Mickey and I have found over the years, dozens of times, when we have together prayed about these things, done it in front of Jesus, that one of those pros or one of those cons gets big. Never expected it to. We wouldn't have moved to Kelowna if that hadn't happened. The big decisions of our life wouldn't have happened if that hadn't happened. But in front of Jesus, you consider them, and then you let the peace of God call a shot. Let the peace of God rule, as one of the translations has Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God be the umpire. Say whether it's a ball or strike. Not the excitement, not the financial rewards, not what people will think, but I go down this road. I stay here. I help Doug teach church planting. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> we go here. We do this. And, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're thinking which way, but you're doing it and saying, where is the greatest sense of rightness? Where is the greatest sense of peace? And then, whatever you do, never look back. God said he'd give you wisdom. You've offered your life completely to him. You've looked at the options. You've laid it before him. And you've come to this decision. Go for it. And don't change. Keep, keep on. Not that you're going to never run into trouble. That doesn't mean you didn't do the right thing because you've got difficulties. But God gives wisdom. Doug? I'm going to ask that Fred would just pray for us. I'm sorry that we went over. Two things that I'd like you to raise your hand for. Number one, you, you, you're going to ask God for somebody in your life to mentor you. Is there anybody that would say, I, I need a Paul in my life, and I'm open to that. Is that you? The second person that I want to pray, Fred to pray for is you have a decision coming, and you want godly wisdom for that decision. Who's that, Maria? Fred, will you pray for us? As soon as Fred says amen, run for lunch. <laughs> Lord, you are so good. You are so sweet. You are so near. You love us so much. We can trust you more than we trust anybody in this world because you are the best mentor of all. You love us and you give us wisdom when we ask, like a loving parent. Perfect wisdom. No, no mistakes. Lord, we have, there are kids here, young people here, future world shapers here who are facing decisions.
that affect and will affect their whole lives. During these years, who, who they'll marry, where they'll start in ministry, all those things. And Lord, I thank you in advance that you are going to guide them. They are going to trust you, ask you for wisdom, and they're going to make decisions honestly in front of you, and you're going to bless them. And I thank you also in advance that you are bringing into their lives, even now, just the mentors they need. May not be the ones you think, may not be the ones you want, but you are going to bring mentors into their lives that you will use to help say things that will resonate through their whole lifetime. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. Bless everybody here today. In Jesus' name, amen.